Hello, welcome to Top 5. Good day to you all. We're back after a long break due to various things taking place, you know, but we've got the machine and it still works. It does. It's working (laughs) as well as my MacBook's working now. I managed to get that on the go. That was one of the reasons we couldn't record, folks. Yeah. Because I've got an old MacBook that's ailing and I have to nurse it through podcasts now. But it's doing well, bless it, for a 2009 MacBook with not very much memory at all. It's doing remarkably well. That it is still going is, I think, a testament to Apple. Astoundingly well. But anyway, hit the button on the machine. and Okay. I've, I've blown the dust off. And here we go. It's time for ice cream. Or maybe some nuts. A cool glass of orange. Why not try a hot dog? Okay. What what do we have this week? Okay. Oh, back in the saddle, back back on the show. Our new top five list, Rich, for this week is the top five highest grossing films in Australian cinema history. Hey! <laughs> the top five highest grossing Australian films. This is a worldwide gross, not just in Australia. So this is... Oh, hang on, right. US, US dollars, the top five... Um, biggest box office smashes in Australian history. So films made so by Australian Australia films, films yes. and how well they did. Okay. Films of the cinema of Australia. I am not a fan of the cinema of Australia, you know. I don't know. I don't, well, we, we'll explore this, I, I suppose. I, I have notoriously had bad luck with a lot of these films. and it's There, might, there may be some IMDBing to justify all this. We'll have to see how we go with it. Okay. I'm going to say this phrase a lot tonight. Go on. It's not that the film itself is bad. It's just <laughs> that it's not for me. So is this going to be your casual racism being being uncovered here towards the Australians? No, right? no, no. I, I, I don't. I don't have a problem with Australians. Just the oh, film. Phew. Just the films that they make, right, and star in. Because you know they're they're a Commonwealth nation. We they are. No, I don't. I don't have a sight. No, you know? no, 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 no. I'm I'm not not the slightest problem with the Australians whatsoever. That's, That's very good. <laughs> I I don't want to go to their country because I believe it's full of things that want to eat and kill me. But well, that is true. That's not them. You know, mm. I'm happy for them to come here and say hi and hang out a bit and that sort of thing. Yeah. That's that's all cool. Lovely people, bird eating spiders. Not so much a fan. Yeah, not going near there. Not mm. going near there. Forget it. Don't care how sunny the place is. Stay at the Northern Territories. I had an auntie that lived uh, with Mar- married an Australian and lived up in. The Northern Territory. Now, for for the kind of tame name, it's <laughs> take every inhospitable desert you can think of and then add dangerous animals, like almost mythical dangerous animals to it, and you've got the Northern Territory. Oh, wonderful. Why would you not live there? Darwin. Oh. They lived in Darwin, one of the hottest places on the face of the earth, I believe. Yeah, why, why would you not live there? That's a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So... This list. Let's crack on with it. Okay. At number five, the number five all-time highest grossing Australian film is, very fittingly, called Australia. It is the 2008 Baz Luhrmann Uh, Gone with the Wind in Australia. Oh, 
is our first stretched groan of the evening. Oh, <laughs> God. I hate Baz Luhrmann films so much. I, the, the, I, I have been tempted on many occasions to put together a four-hour presentation on precisely everything that is wrong with Moulin Rouge. <laughs> I will go through it frame by frame and pull it apart because it's appalling. It's terrible. It's diabolical. It's awful. Well, you'll love this one because it's directed, written, and produced, and edited by one Baz Luhrmann. Oh, I think he's awful. I think his work is all bad. All of it. And I know some people like, oh, no. It, oh, I mean, he, he tends towards the flamboyant, and he can be something of an overexcited director, I think, a lot of the time. I've got time for him. I totally understand where the um, the kind of skin-crawling hatred could come from. But I liked, um, I think I was the right age when I watched Romeo and Juliet. I quite, I quite dug that, even though I knew it was pretty much almost a pantomime. But I really dug what they did with it. Moulin Rouge was at points toe-curlingly embarrassing and at points kind of a guilty pleasure. He, mm. he, he's, I'm not trying to justify uh, it. I'm just giving you my own reaction to his film. How can you make a musical where when you have people singing, you don't film them singing? <laughs> I, I don't. I never figured that out, but that's what he did. And why did you not get people who could sing? And why do you think that Ewan McGregor should be in films? And why, why do you think that Nicole Kidman is attractive and should be in films? And why didn't you just go and get people that had won like stage awards who could really fucking sing and perform and be amazing and all that uh, sort of thing. That's not how movie musicals work. Why didn't you do that? And, and so many other things. And why did you make some of it weird, but not consistently weird? And why? Oh, everything was wrong. <laughs> everything uh, was one wrong. One thing I haven't asked actually, Rich, is have you seen Australia? Have I? Fuck. There okay, is then. absolutely well, that's, that's... no reason whatsoever that I would waste... 165 minutes of my time on that the, unfortunately is two of us on this utter garbage because it's starring nicole kidman and written and directed by baz Luhrmann. Oh, there's, no, there's nothing there that says watch this nothing makes me want to get you to pause this podcast right now and for us to watch the trailer together than this i've seen the trailer i i'm aware of this film oh, okay then I am very much aware of this film and how much I'm never going to watch it ever. I don't. I don't want to see the trailer again. I. It's, I'll read you the synopsis then. I'm, yeah, oh. Set in northern Australia. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna cut you off there. Yeah. Set in northern Australia before World War Two, an English aristocrat who inherits a sprawling ranch reluctantly packs with a stockman, in order to protect her new property from a takeover plot, as the pair drive two thousand head of cattle over unforgiving landscape. They experienced the bombing of Darwin, Australia, beforehand mentioned, by Japanese forces firsthand. Great. That's that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I can't watch that quick enough. That <laughs> make that movie, Baz, do it. I don't think they sing in it. I don't care. Do you know no, what? Do you know what? Yeah, Hugh Jackman. Jackman can sing. Then there's the shame. He can sing. He's been in West End Productions. He was brilliant yes. in Oklahoma. Mm, oh, absolutely. And that would be fine. They should have used him instead of Ewan McGregor and Moulin Rouge. The thing with Ewan McGregor is, do you know what? I bet he's a brilliant guy. 
I I really get the impression that he's a really nice person and cares a lot about stuff and the world he lives in and all that. I think he's a he's a good person, Ewan McGregor. As much as I can say that without knowing him personally. No, he does seem to be a sound guy. But for the love of God, stop being in films. Or all, <laughs> all of them. You are He awful. was good to start with, Rich. Everyone says he that. Was. Oh, but he was brilliant in Train Spotting. Yeah, he was brilliant in Train Spotting. Find me one more brilliant performance because all I see is Down with Love, uh, that one with Ashley Judd that no one can remember the Ooh, name of. Oh, God, Down with and, Love was bad, and, wasn't it? Yeah, and Star Wars Episode One, in which I mean, it was yeah. a shit film, but he was shit in it. Mm. And, and um, oh, so many things. So many things. Oh, I love you, Philip Morris, which was a great story. But when you put him next to someone who can act like Jim Carrey, then you just show up how shit he is. And it's just, oh. You... Oh, God, I can't get past Down With Love. You've, it's like, I know. like a bloody repressed nightmare that you just reminded me of. Yeah. Oh, that was so fucking bad. I was made to watch that film by one Mr. Tristan O'Field. <laughs> oh, Tristan. Why would he do that? Because he thought it was good. Why would he do that? I, I don't know. I don't know. He's a better filmmaker than Baz Luhrmann, though. I'll give him that. <laughs> I'm going back through Hugh McGregor's career now to see if there are any other films in Trainspotting that I can justify it with. There are no other good films. And we're going back a long way, Rich. <sighs> there are no other good films. Oh, no. yeah. He was in Black Hawk Down, wasn't he? And And... Was his performance so good that nope. you could say anything other than, oh, I forgot he was in that. Little voice, oh dear. Nope. I mean, he's been nope. in some good stuff. Little Voice is a great film, but it's a, it's a what's-her-name film. Uh, why can't I remember a name? What, Jane Horrocks? Jane Horrocks, yes. It's a, it's a Jane Horrocks film. It, he just happens to be in it. <laughs> but it's a great film and not because of him oh um shallow grave okay that's a good film but that is before train spotting so i suppose my argument is somewhat invalid yeah train spotting was his last good thing mm. or his last good performance how did this become a show about slagging off you and mcgregor <laughs> i think it was your react i was trying to I was making the mistake of trying to uh, find some kind of salient point or some kind of thing to l feel good about when your reaction to Baz Luhrmann happened. And I don't think I've helped. Really. It was quite vicious, wasn't it? It was kind yeah. of like dropping some phosphorus yeah. in water. Just boom. Oh, it was, yeah, it was. We, we went from there to Moulin Rouge to Ewan McGregor. That's what we did. Yeah. But I think no. we're going to talk about Baz Luhrmann again. Well, we shall see, eh? I, I think we should move on to number four because I think he's going to come up again. Well, I, I need to tell you the amount, actually. I, I should do this by the, by the information I've got here. Australia, from 2008, which I thought was I thought of as a flop, ended up grossing worldwide $211 million. $211,342,221 US dollars. That's, not, that's probably more than it cost to make. Well, I think they got a massive tax break as well for filming it there they it was tied in with the i think it was tied in with the tourist industry one so way or another it was basically a come to australia film pretty much oh, bass, bass, bass. <laughs> anyway let's up the quality and move on to number four shall we yeah 
<laughs> that's the spirit. Yeah. Number four comes to us from 1988, Rich. Right. Directed by a man called John Cornell. And grossing $239,606,210 to date is Crocodile Dundee 2. Wow, okay. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee 2 is on this list, Rich. Okay. Now, I've seen Crocodile Dundee 2 a couple of times. But <laughs> Quite a lot of people have by the looks of it. Probably not since the early 90s at the very yeah. latest. Um, Crocodile Dundee was huge, wasn't it? Oh my God, was it ever. He's Australian, was, but... There was like a, there was a summer where everybody wanted to be Australian, especially yeah. Americans. He comes from not New York, so he doesn't know how to behave in New York to not stand no. out. Hilarity ensues. He's like a fish, but not in water. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how funny that kind of thing is. It is. It's, it's so movie-making by numbers, but by God, the world lapped it up and made Paul Hogan famous and, and rich and... All that sort of thing. Did you know he was married to that woman as well? Yes, he was. And I believe there was probably a bitter and very expensive divorce. Well, it... Along with that as well. I think it only happened recently. Linda Linda Kozlowski, I think her name. Yeah, Linda Kozlowski. Now, we need to see Paul Hogan's Wikipedia page. Oh, well, I'm gonna, I'll IMDB him. You correlate with Wikipedia. He's, he's 75 years old, did you know? Hmm. And he was married from, to Linda Kozlowski from 1990 to 2014. So they only got divorced last year. Wow. So, they, yeah, they were together 24 years. Well done there. <laughs> Who would you rather watch, Rich? Paul Hogan or Ewan McGregor? Paul Hogan. Yeah? Any, any day of the week. In... <laughs> so I've got, I've got access to IMDb here, so... Even in the remake that he did of Flipper with Elijah Wood. Seen it. Oh, okay. Seen it. And? Well, it's it's exactly what you think it would be. It's a fluffy kids film, you know? It's not like it's cutting-edge humour or anything like that. It was fine for what it was. I don't remember it doing particularly well because well, it's a dumb story because we know a kid isn't friends with a fucking dolphin. But, you know... It that. it made its money back. Well, there, there you go then. Budget of 20, 20, 25 and a half mil, and it grossed thirty five. So there you go. They made their money back. That's that's fine. But yeah, I've seen that, seen that definitely. So Crocodile Dundee two. I don't. I'm not sure. If, I don't. I can't remember. I can remember Crocodile Dundee very well. Right. Well, Crocodile Dundee two. Yeah. You know how the first story is the fish out of water story. Your sequel is, we'll put the and fish... And I'm laughing when I think about it now. Yeah. Well, now we've seen how the fish behaves out of the water. We want to see how the fish behaves in its natural habitat. No way. They plop him back into the water. Yeah. So what <laughs> happens is, we have a reason for Paul Hogan to go back to the Australian outback, but he's no, you know, he's he's chasing somebody. I think somebody kidnaps his wife. A bad guy kidnaps know. his wife. So is it possible the the people from the exterior of the water from the first film yes possibly follow him back to australia yes and come uh, a cropper as a result because he's in water of course they do. he's, he's, he's got outback skills yeah you can't fight a fish in water yeah. and that's that's what they try to do and yeah. so it's like the opposite of the first movie 
but it's trying to fight a fish in the middle of an inhospitable desert. Yeah, and I I struggle to sit here and go, it's a good movie because <laughs> you know I I want to maintain a little bit of credibility in my movie commentary, but it's not a terrible thing. There are worst film, worst films. It's and just... Paul Hogan is or was. I mean, God, I'm probably giving him a lot of credit here for. I don't know what he's been up to. He could be a dreadful person for all I know. But he was a funny guy. I, I saw a few episodes of his because obviously, I think the re, the reason obviously the film ended up being such a big thing was this guy was just the biggest thing in Australia for years. He was a superstar, and the TV show, the sort of sketch show, was funny. You know, he was. He was a funny guy. Um, but, yeah, I do. <laughs> and I think, so in that sense, I kind of want to give him the same pass that everybody seems to give Chuck Norris. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But in, on his Wikipedia, in his personal life section, there is a, pro, a section entitled Tax Problems. Okay. But, well, you know, but, tax. You, you know, it can be difficult. Some of us have tax problems. And, yeah. and not through being bad people or... Anything tax like can that. sometimes be taxing. It can. It Go can indeed. Um, so, you know, these, I, I don't know what it's like, but I'm surprised it wasn't the first one. Yeah. It wasn't Crocodile Dundee. It was Crocodile Dundee 2. And it took a shit load of money. Yeah. How much? Uh, well, this is obviously back then, I guess. 239 million for, I'm guessing, probably not a lot that it was made for. That's that's a that's a blockbuster, you know. So is this adjusted notes. for inflation, though? No, no, these are well, these are I think up to the present day. They're not adjusted, right? This is nineteen eighty eight. So it, it adjusted for inflation. It might well have made more money, a lot more money than Basler. I should imagine film. I mean, yeah, that that's a smash. That's a worldwide smash. That kind of money at the box office in eighty eight. I've also seen all, almost an angel with. Paul Hogan. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, it becomes a, it becomes an angel. That's it? a fish out of heaven, isn't it? Yeah, that one. Yeah. I've also seen Lightning Jack with Paul Hogan, and I think Huber Gooding Jr. Yeah, it was one of his one of his. <laughs> I believe it must have been the deal with the devil to get him an Oscar. That Huber Gooding Jr. made this succession of choices after the Oscar. The snow dogs, the snow dogs route. Yeah. Blimey. Oh, Cuba. Yeah. Is what it Cuba or is it Cuba? What am I supposed to say? The only other time I've seen those letters in any order, it's Cuba. Yeah. But people don't always say that. No. It could well be Cuba. I have to look for him introducing himself on something. That's how I found out that you say Liev Schreiber. Ah, Okay. Instead of leave. Yeah, it's Liev. Mm -hmm. That's what he said. Right. So I'm going with that. Mm. And it just took, it took a TV show with him going, hello, my name's Liev Shriver. And it's, ah, is it? <laughs> Thank okay. you, Liev. Yeah. I don't care about the program anymore. I'm, I'm going to tell everyone I know that now. You mean Liev? Yeah. You mean Liev. <clears throat> oh, dear. Neither. And dreadful pun means we're moving on to number it three. It does. It does. Yeah. Number three in our list. We're getting into the getting into the podium places here. Number three comes to us from 1995, directed by Chris Noonan, and grossing 254 million 134 thousand nine hundred and ten dollars. 
is the one and only Babe. Oh, I hate that fucking movie. You hate it, Babe? Oh. See, I come from, I live in pig country, and I like that film a lot. <sighs> oh, dear. This is, this is possibly the list that's caused you the most emotional pain so far. Right. This is one of the... I, I don't talk a lot about how much I hate Babe. Because wow, we're gonna... it's difficult to say it and not seem like you're just a bad person. <laughs> I hate that baby pig, everyone. Yeah, I'm, it's an adorable little pig and it's got that voice and the fringe for some reason. Yeah. But when I was in the cinema watching that film with my mum, my dad and my little sister, the scene about halfway through where you think he's going to just shoot the fucking pig yeah. I was sat there genuinely thinking, please shoot the fucking pig so we can go. Oh, home. Rich. I don't want to watch the pig anymore. Just end the film. I now don't care how the film ends. Just if you have to shoot the pig, shoot the pig. Because <laughs> you know what? I can then sit and think about bacon sandwiches. And bacon sandwiches are awesome. So so was... Right, okay, let's... I'm feeling this, is, this is starting to become a bit of a... <laughs> A bit of therapy, I think, because I'm kind of trying to get into the get into the psyche of these things. Um, incidentally, just to make you feel worse, Christine Kavanagh, who actually provided the voice of Babe, uh, she died last year. Oh, she she, yeah. she wasn't shot by it's a father, wish. was she? Not sure if she was shot at the wishes <laughs> of, a, of a small lad from Yorkshire, but we we don't know this. I haven't I haven't read the autopsy. Um. Was this guilt? Was this guilt about still wanting to eat pork or what? No, what you, no. What, what really affected you about this film then? Right, Why? because pork is amazing. There's just no getting is. past this. Pork yeah. is, is, is an amazing, amazing thing. And it's one of the things that keeps me not if a vegetarian. I knew, if I knew I tasted that good, I'd want to be murdered. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I believe the thing to follow it up with is there. I've said it. Yeah, there you said it. Um, it's oh, it, it's I I I don't I could never. It's I struggle morally with vegetarianismness, actually, because um, one main reason why I'm not a vegetarian is because of the food I don't eat, and if I became one, I would die very quickly. Mm. So that that's an element to it. Man cannot eat chips and beans every meal. Uh, Not really. And I've never had anything made for vegetarians that has made me think, hmm, that's nice. I'd like more of that pretend sausage and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So th that's an element of it. But I also have the element that I couldn't hurt an animal. I, I don't want to ever hurt an animal, even if it tastes amazing. I couldn't slaughter and butcher a pig. I couldn't do it. And I have an issue with the idea that if I'm prepared to eat the animal, I should also have this attitude that I'm prepared to slaughter the animal. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that that intense. Obviously, as a chef, I've got a view on this, <laughs> and especially from coming from farming country and knowing a lot of yeah. farmers and, and doing my own butchery and all kinds of things like that. Um, I'm more of a, this is, oh, this is a great episode. Aren't we getting in depth? We are. such a lightweight little podcast as this. We are. I'm much happier to eat meat and be really, really uh, up on good animal husbandry. 
producing good quality meat means you you do have to care and you do have to make sure this animal has as stress-free and uh, pain-free a life as you can possibly give it because it produces a better product. Um, cruelty ends up with you, you end up with a poor product. Yeah. So I'd rather go down that route rather than just saying I'm not going to eat meat now. Obviously, there's a moral issue with the idea of killing animals, but you know, there's an awful lot of meat eating that goes on outside of our species, and things die a much crueler and horrible death in nature than a lot of the times that we do that they do at our hand. Yeah, that's true. Um, when it's raised properly, you know, it's actually a much nicer existence for a an animal, like a you know, uh, th- than it would be in the wild, where you might be <laughs> a few bites taken out of you, then you die in agony or eaten alive by you know the packs of things. Or so, without trying to to justify it as a be all and end all, that's my view on it. Is animal husbandry is the most important important thing, rather than do I eat it, do I don't, do I not eat it. However, flicking through IMDb as I'm doing with every film now, because it's great fun. I've just spotted a bit of trivia about this film. James Cromwell, who plays Farmer Hoggett in the film. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek Starward. Um, James Cromwell, a longtime vegetarian, Rich, decided to become a vegan after starring in the movie. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That'll do, Derry. That'll do. See, I he definitely couldn't do that. Yeah, and I vegan. get the feeling that being a vegan also involves telling a lot of people that you are a vegan, and <laughs> being on the side of the not vegan fence at the moment. I can tell all vegans that none of us are interested in knowing that you're a vegan. Yeah, and uh, I don't want to become the kind of person who feels it necessary to inform others of that. No, it's that kind of attitude that keeps me smoking cigarettes. It's like. But, yeah, I've... but if I give up, I have to tell everybody I ever meet that I gave up. That's Then everyone will kind of start by thinking I'm a bit of a git. Yeah, as Bill Hicks said, <laughs> I'd quit smoking if I didn't think I'd become one of you. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> my problem. I don't, I don't want to become a non-smoker because they're, they're annoying. Yeah, so... you suddenly... You suddenly, you know, it's it's a choice you made, but then you said that suddenly allows you to have an opinion on everybody else's choice, you know. And I won't lie, there is an element of knowing that it pisses off other people that yeah. I kind of enjoy. Yeah. Plus, just from a general <laughs> nutrition point, and I really, I don't actually care if we get uh, get correcting. This might be this might be our first email, you know. <laughs> we might get our first emails mm. on this show from being corrected by the same kind of people that that like to tell you that they are a vegan. Um, I've known enough vegans and heard enough of that same dry cough to know that, that I don't think you're getting enough stuff in yeah. the system, really. I, that, I mean, that is the other thing, that from a scientific point of view, I believe we should absolutely, we are fine to eat meat. There's a certain breaking down of protein thing that, yeah. that we seem to need. I, I, it seems to do us very well. You know, I can get on board meat eating from, on the ecological mm. level. Like I said, get get the good stuff. Yeah, hell, go you know get get things that are hunted in the wild. You know, get something that's that's free and not kept in at all to the point where, ideally, it's you know instantly and humanely dispatched by a, a skilled hunter, and that's great. And that that would also be the most nutritious meat you'll ever eat in your life. Do that. That's that's great. You know, that's that's nothing suffering there. You're taking the life of an animal, but again, if it's in the wild. That's going to happen, and probably in a much more violent way. Oh, yeah. Mm. 
I can't believe how deep this episode is getting, Rich. It's very good, isn't it? We're talking it? about Babe, for fuck's sake. Yeah. And, you know, I know that uh, top celebrity chef Tony Bourdain has the same problem that I have. From watching is... him do the No Reservations show and, mm-hmm. and other shows since then. He loves me alarmingly yeah. so, but yeah. has an incredible problem with the killing of animals. And you you see him on on a number of occasions in different locations around the world, where they traditionally will have the they'll the, the village will come out on this day and they'll slaughter a hundred pigs yeah. and all this yeah. sort of thing and it's a big thing that's happened for a thousand years, and it all they make just delicious food and everybody's happy and it's brilliant and mm. you get to see the discomfort he has when they're like you special guests come and kill one of our pigs and it's like yeah. I agree, I can't. I can't do that. I can watch you cook it, and I can say it's delicious, but I can't. Yeah, it's, it's, but we are, we are very much removed from that now. But they they have the right idea because they are genuinely thankful for every molecule of that animal. Oh, that yeah, they are that they are taking, you know, and they will use every part of it. You know, the blood for the blood sausage. All these things come from not wanting to waste a single thing of this animal. Absolutely. Often it was a case of having one or two animals, you know, in your homestead, and that would get you through a certain amount of time and this animal would be part of your family, but it would also, it's kind of duty was to keep you all alive through the winter and stuff, you know, and it would, it would give it, you would do, you would take its life. Obviously it was not giving it freely, but you would respect this animal by utilizing every single part of it and every single scrap. And that's what these things are. But of course we're horrified. It is disturbing because we are the, the the thing you know this the farm the intensive farming goes on we don't want to know about it the slaughterhouse stuff goes on we don't want to know about it even the butchery we don't you know people are people are totally freaked out by butchery these days they literally just want to see the cellophane yeah on the polystyrene and don't worry you know that that's not an animal that's that's dinner that's some chops you know chops just come from the supermarket they don't come from an animal well they do <laughs> oh they do yeah and intensive farming is more cruel and more wrong than anything you know mm. that's the thing we should all be fighting it's the cheap the idea of cheap meat is actually a pretty fucking evil thing oh wow this is this is getting beyond deep this is let's move on to number two yeah wow <laughs> number two. Oh, i should also put there's actually there's one little point i wanted to make here babe uh, from 95 was um executive produced by a chap called George Miller. Does that name ring a bell at all? It rings a bell. George Miller, it turns out, is quite a is 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 a big deal in Australian cinema, and he's going to be a big deal again in, I think, a week's time or so when uh, a new film of his comes out. Oh, George yeah. Miller is the is the guy behind the Mad Max series. Yes, I see now. I've just clicked on his thing. Yeah, George Miller on his IMDb list. He's directing Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Oh, and he did Happy Feet too, and Happy Feet. I've seen Happy Feet. Have you? I have. Yeah, I was. I was literally strapped into a chair in a metal tube at thirty thousand feet in the air, <laughs> and that's how I what it took for me to see Happy Feet. Happy Feet and Happy Eyes. No, I wasn't happy. I could have done without it, to be honest. Um, that's just me. But then they put Casino Royale, on, so I was all right for a bit. Oh well, that makes everything better. Yeah, but no, he did all the like the old Mad Max movies. Yeah, he did them all. He's that's very unusual for a director to come back and start it's... remaking his own stuff. Surely, 
Well, it's it's actually I don't actually think this is a remake. I'm I'm so torn with this film because it looks like the most amazing shoot. I just hope the film makes sense and backs it up because I think the movie is essentially one long it's one long chase. I think I think it's almost entirely in motion. Um and they did it out in Namibia. They did it in the Namibian desert and it just looks like nothing else, but I believe the story comes after the events of the the films. It's it's the same. I don't. I, I guess it's the same Max. They call him Mad Max. I guess it's Max Rokotansky. But it's either it's either canon and it's following on from the other films, yeah. or he's possibly it's possibly like a partial reboot where he's saying, "Well, no, these these things still happen. This is just us looking at a. They're looking at the point beyond where." the film's left off where it really is true post-apocalypse civilization started again and basically the rules have been reset and now it's just this kind of race you know to keep keep going and get fueled and the the old world has completely been forgotten i need to watch these films i've never seen the but, originals oh really yeah i i love the original mad max it's such an oddity it's such a such a kind of brutal film with a real punky low budget atmosphere and incredibly short it's done in in just over an hour i think 80, i remember i remember being minutes. shocked sorry 88 minutes it oh, says it 88 is that long i thought it must have just i guess it must have just ripped past but i remember being shocked seeing the credits thinking holy christ that's it but it's a it's a great film he's he's a great director this guy visually give it a go i will i will i'll, keep, prob- I'll probably be wrong <laughs> but give it a go Anyway, move on to number two, Rich. Number two, we're in nearly at the nearly at the top here. Number two from nineteen eighty six, directed by Peter Feynman, and grossing three hundred and twenty eight million two hundred and three thousand five hundred six dollars, is the original Crocodile Dundee. Number two in the list. That makes sense. It does. It was absolutely everywhere. Um, I would have been eight years old and I remember the impact Crocodile Dundee had. Not that I got to see it straight away, but I remember my auntie and my mum going out to watch it. It was like, you know, like the, it was a group event. People went out to see this film and, uh, yeah, for that, for that whole summer, everybody went a bit Australian, but in that kind of, (laughs) the way that I suppose the film itself actually pokes fun at. Yeah. The kind of mystic Bushman with the skin, you know, the, the actual the bullshit skills that the Americans think are real, that sort of thing. It it was uh, it it was huge, and we still quote yeah. it. Oh my god! Yeah, that's that's the thing. We it, I think we kind of forget that it was a huge film, even though we all know we still quote it. Let's try and think of a quote now from Crocodile Dundee. That's not a knife. This is a knife. Yeah, I'm gonna say tastes like shit, but you can eat it. This yeah, I'm actually all yeah. out now. It's been a while since I've seen it. I wasn't going to push you for two. It's okay. Okay, good. We've ruined it. Edit point. Edit point. Okay. Um, but it, it was enormous. I remember. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's of the... I remember posters of it in the video shop. I remember. I'll t- <laughs> Here we go. Welcome to Nostalgia Corner. Yeah. With two people who are exactly the same age, everybody. I remember not just the video shop. I used to get the video for you free magazine that you got off the counter in the video shop. 
and I used to look at all the the coming, you know, the movies that were coming, and the front cover was the big Crocodile Dundee poster where he's bending back the skyscraper. That's the one. Yeah. I remember reading, looking at that and thinking, oh, that was, you know, because it was always the biggest movie of the time. Yeah? Yeah. I I remember those magazines. Where you don't seem to get them as much. Any, maybe I don't go to enough cinema showings and things. You'd get them in video shops. You'd get them in mm-hmm. cinemas where they'd review films. And bizarrely, yeah. every film coming out that you could rent or go and see was brilliant. <laughs> it's true. There was yeah. the, the, go and read a film review magazine where they never review a bad film. Seemingly, it's as if the publication was made by the video rental industry. I'm sure that's a that's a slanderous I, thing to say. No, I, I think they were. I yeah. think that's what they do. I think you do just you think? yeah. I think you put out your own magazine saying rent all these films. They're brilliant. Wow, <laughs> it's 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 a done thing. It's a done thing. When I worked at the. Uh, video game accessory company we published a magazine that reviewed our own products <laughs> uh, surprisingly they all did rather well no way yeah that that might come as a shock but yeah they always what got an important good, publication yeah they always got good reviews in that one i don't remember which one it was uh but it was like oh we made that yeah oh right okay <laughs> as it just sinks in <laughs> all right it's all bullshit i get it because we make shit really i i'm with you okay <laughs> yeah that was that was uh, the thing let me i'm gonna go to the trivia section of imdb again and try and find something fun here the film is the fifth most watched film to be broadcast on british television when it was shown on BBC One on December the 25th, 1989. Do you know what, Rich? I remember that as well. I remember it being a huge deal that Crocodile Dundee was being shown on BBC One three years after it was released. Was it? It it attracted 21.75 million viewers. It was also the most watched film to ever be shown on the BBC as the four films with the most viewership. Uh, Live and Let Die... Jaws, The Spy Who Loved Me, and Diamonds Are Forever were all shown on ITV. Right. Mm. I don't remember that being a thing. The four above that, yeah. Wow. Oh, God, I've got to read another. This, this trivia is gold here. Okay, one more bit of trivia for you. Despite Paul Hogan's insistence that Crocodile Dundee was his own creation... Now, that sentence sounds good already, doesn't it? Because you know what's going to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was later revealed that the real-life inspiration for the character was Bushman Rod Ansell. Rod Ansell became popular in Australia in 1977 when his boat capsized during a solo hunting expedition and he had to spend two months trapped in the wilderness. Wow. He survived by drinking cow blood, sleeping with snakes, and occasionally... I'm not sure what they mean by sleeping with snakes. Yeah. (laughs) And occasionally, well, you know, man gets lonely. To, to gain favor with someone else. i don't well we could but you're gonna have to fuck the snake is um, it like being out you know is it like being at sea yeah the, the rules just don't uh, and occasionally fighting and decapitating the odd crocodile during a later bbc interview about his adventure which he reportedly attended barefoot ansel mentioned that the hotel they put him in was very nice and all but he decided to sleep on the floor Oddly enough, it was this little detail, not any of the animal fighting stuff, that inspired Crocodile Dundee. Unfortunately, Ansel didn't see a cent from the use of his story and his life and marriage fell apart and he eventually developed a drug habit which culminated into a shootout with police officers killing one. 
Some say he was driven mad due to his exclusion from the success of the Crocodile Dundee movies. The production company even banned him from starting his own Crocodile Dundee tour. Why did I read that far? Now I'm depressed. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, dear. That's so sad. Mm. Oh, now I, I never get to see that film again and enjoy it. Oh, like, let's watch Babe instead, Rich. No. And cheer yourselves up. <laughs> uh, oh, it's too easy. I am searching Netflix for uh, Mad Max, though. Oh, do it. Where do I get to see it? The, we the, In America, there's the Can I Stream It website, but it doesn't work for us. Mm. So I have to search every different service. And oh, that delete. would be very useful. I didn't realize there was such a thing. Yeah, you just... I guess because it doesn't work for us. Yeah. It's not... God, that would be useful. It's not on Netflix. I'm done searching. What's the top one? Okay. Drum roll, or I guess a, a chorus of didgeridoos or something, I suppose. Um, number one. It's from 2006. It grossed $384 million. $300,000. It was directed again by George Miller, he of Mad Max and executive producing Babe fame. And we've already mentioned it, Rich. It is the Australian-American production, Happy Feet. Happy Feet. Happy Feet is the number one highest grossing film of the cinema of Australia. Happy Feet. That's something Australia need to sit and think about for a little while. Yeah, your cultural representative is a fucking tap-dancing penguin. 6.5 on IMDb. You desert-based country, you. Yeah. 6.5 on IMDb. Yeah, that's about right. Robin Williams, Elijah Wood, Brittany Murphy, Hugh Jackman, Hugh Ackman, Nicole Kidman, Hugo Weaving, lots of other people in an animated film about penguins. <laughs> yes, because the penguin can't sing, but he can dance. But that's no good. They're singing penguins, so they're like, "Fuck off, kid!" And he goes, but then he comes back, and I think he can dance or something. So he comes, he comes back and dance. I managed, despite having despite having three children, I managed not to see it. So I have no real opinion to proffer for Happy Feet. I managed to get away with not having to sit and watch it because it just it just didn't nothing about it. I know you got trapped on a plane. Exactly. Literally, <laughs> literally tied to a chair. What What can I say? That's fine. So, oh, Christ. I've just yawned as well. That's happy feet. But yeah, that, that, um, that flight constituted a strange and unusual punishment. It was, it was not fair. If you want to talk about strange and unusual punishment, in December 2006, Nicole Kidman held a special screening of this film for the ill children at Sydney Children's Hospital Randwick. Well, they might so have liked that. <laughs> throw away their crutches and run maybe that's what it caused this film is dedicated to steve Irwin. i'm sure he would <laughs> i'm sure he would have been happy in fact they should have had him as like a they should have had him as like a force ghost at the end yes they should <laughs> force ghost and then he could just stick his thumb up the butt of a penguin <laughs> you're all right mate <laughs> is it wrong that i still have no sympathy for steve Irwin? Like, well, I know he was clearly a lovely guy and he cared a lot about the environment and all of that. And I don't, I never wish to see him. Ha no, that's not true. I did on many occasions wish to see him harmed. <laughs> you, you, you were watching it on the basis that maybe this is the one that bites his fucking head off because it's coming. Yeah. And then it <laughs> happened and you were like, 
Yeah, but it didn't. He died in such in such the in the way you kind of wanted just to see his face when he realised that it was a ray that had got him. You know, it, he was fucking with an animal and it had him, and that's mm. it. That's what happened to Steve Irwin, and everyone knew that was what was going to happen to Steve Irwin because his job was fucking with animals on television, and that was the whole point. It was just. So, you know, I I never, like, genuinely wished him bad and all of that. But it was like, well, you get that was going to happen, Steve, because you were fucking with them. Don't don't do that. They don't know they shouldn't kill you. And that Ray really didn't. So leave it the fuck alone. And he didn't. He never did that. Don't don't wrestle the crocodile, Steve. You've no need to wrestle the crocodile. Sure, look after it. That's brilliant. Don't don't fuck with it. Leave it the fuck alone. Just oh dear. Oh, he's a lively one. Yeah, of course he is. You're you're sat on him. He was asleep just, before. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be lively if you were just sat asleep and some fucker came and jumped on you and grabbed you. Yeah, I mean, oh. I I've, I've had times where I've I've had like a little nap on the on the sofa in the afternoon. And if I get waken, woken up abruptly, I am evil. Yeah. And I'm not a prehistoric predator. Exactly. He just didn't learn his lesson and he got what was coming to him. That was, that was all. Well. So that's my well, opinion. Death, death of beloved figures. Yeah. We've we got shootouts with the police, animal rights conversations. See, the, the shootout with the police and that, that's tragic. Yeah. That didn't, it's, that wasn't, you know... That's somebody's life going off the rails and, and all of that. That's that's a, a sad story. That's not, well, I was fucking with this animal and it decided that I was going to stop. You know, so... Steve, Steve, Steve. You know, it was just inevitable. It's as if he's... Yeah. If you had someone on television whose whole thing was they're going to, like, balance on things really high up for ages... And yeah. we're going to watch him wobble for half an hour. Then you're going to expect that one day... <laughs> they're going to get hit by a pigeon. They're going to fall <laughs> off the big thing, aren't they? <laughs> Otherwise, there's no point. And that's what happened to Steve Irwin. We watched him fuck with animals thinking, one day, Steve, one day you are going to piss off the wrong thing. And yeah. he did. Simple as. I think I've laughed at Steve Irwin enough for one show. I feel bad. We've... Now. um. <laughs> We've crossed a lot of bridges here. We, can't, we, we can't go back on now. This has been an epic edition of the uh, top five show. It has. We've got uncomfortably deep here. Yeah. We, we, this should be as shallow as anything. Yeah. And it's not. I. What can I say? When you get great minds together, awesome yeah. stuff happens. I guess so. We just there's just too much too much energy. Absolutely. <laughs> In the ether. Well, we should say. I mean, for prosperity, we've recorded this. The show on the day after the the general election in 2015, which well, not going a way that pleased either of us here. Maybe that's why we're so and, <laughs> yeah, we're so gloomy. I kind of like, oh, the world's just going to shit. I'm gonna just watch it now. Just mm. oh dear, whatever. So it's let's have a laugh. Yeah. You know, on the on the last night on earth, do you sit being sad, playing Russian roulette and drinking whiskey, or do you have a party? Mm. Yeah, let's go and piss around with crocodiles. Exactly. So that's <laughs> let's, go, let's go swim with a stingray. Yeah, that's what let's we see did. What, where it takes us. Yeah. I'm just yeah. Sorry, Steve. 
Well, thank you for, for pressing the button and, and hey. getting another awesome top five. No, it's, it's, I'm thanking the machine. It did us proud. And now you need to go and stream Mad Max and I need to go and write an email of apology to Baz Luhrmann exactly. and his family. I, don't, don't send that from a simply syndicated address. <laughs> In fact, I should, I should, I should do a, I should do a video video apology with them, um, fireworks and crash zooms and yeah. all the stuff he normally does. He's oh, awful. It's an awful, awful film. No, we're we're going through the loop again. We, we shouldn't have done that. We we're are. back at the yeah, start. Right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Hopefully, we'll be back next week. Technical problems yeah. aside, and all other, just the heavens just descending on us and destroying everything that could happen in the next week. You know, if, if none of that happens, we'll do another show because it's fun and all that. And you like this yeah, and we like this talking. seems to have worked. Yeah. So do that. You can email us. I'm open. Have we said this before? I'm open uh, to email. I don't think we have. I feel like we should this time. Top five at simply syndicated.com. Yeah, there we go. The digit five. Mm-hmm. That occurs to me. We don't have any other email addresses with numbers in for that confusion to occur. Top five with the number five, not the word five. Okay, yeah. that's what I'll do. Uh, and we'll we'll read feedback out. Maybe some of you feel really bad for Steve Irwin and <laughs> want to vent a bit. Or one of the other many things we touched upon. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what we're saying, isn't it? Send us email that either says you think we're wrong or you think we're yeah. right. That's... That's essentially all we can get. You know, you can't suggest top five. We don't even know what they're going to be. So No, we're, it's it's a piece of technology. Yeah, we can't plan ahead mm. anything. It, it wouldn't be random. No. Then would it? If I was, yeah, I mean, what, what, what I, I don't even know what you're suggesting there, you know. That's an organized top five. It is. And that's a different machine. That's we, what we do. We only have the random top five machine. So we have to stick with it. Okay, then. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you, and good day.